listening to Hey, peace and love, everybody. Welcome to the show, Dooner. Nice to have you in the studio, my man. Must be a big show today. It's a big show. We have Shelly Simpson on here from J.B. Hunt. We've got, we're going to crack open that Nicola Hildenberg report that dropped yesterday. Oh, yeah. And uh, our own story is kind of involved in there. Trevor was going to be on this show. We were going to talk about GM. We were going to talk about him giving those shares of stock. It was going to be a great story. Yeah. Two hours after they confirmed. Two yeah. hours, the, Hil- the Hildenberg erupts, right? <laughs> and uh, and now now it's a little bit different. We have Alan Adler on, who's uh, he's worked with GM, so he is right. probably the most qualified journalist in America to cover this. We're going to crack open that report. We're going to see if it's valid. If it's not, Nicola has put out a. Uh, they, they said they're refuting it. They're bringing it to law. All that kind of stuff. But before we get into today's show, there's a promise many Americans made 19 years ago, and that was to never forget. Right. In remembrance of the 2,977 lives lost on 9-11-2001 and those that were even more irreparably changed by those losses and what's happened since, we would like to observe a moment of silence. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Michael Vincent, that, that was, uh, I remember waking up that morning. And uh, I was in California at the time. My sister was, yeah. was my roommate. And my dad was on the East Coast. And he, he called us up at maybe 5.45, 6 in the morning. And he's like, you got to get out of bed. We're under attack. A second plane has yeah. hit the towers. And it was one of those things, like, culturally in America that I remember, I remember afterwards, like, just driving to work once we went back to work. And, like, because they use passenger planes, like, any bus that would drive by, any cab, you would think about subways. And you're like, when is the next attack going to happen it's uh such a formative and sad thing but the one i I think the one good that came from 9-11 is it's one of those few events in american culture that at least for a little while brought everybody really close together and had a good sort of pure sense of patriotism instead of maybe some of the the more forced and manufactured stuff you see sometimes now it was it was a horrible time but you know there's good and all yeah, it definitely was. I remember that day uh, distinctly. I was living in Miami, uh, and we were in, actually, uh, I had my staff in, in the boardroom during a meeting when that when that news broke, and somebody broke in there and talked about it, and it changed everything. It was, uh, it was a difficult time. It was, it was a very a difficult, difficult time. time. Where, folks, where were you? If you want to take a chance to remember, too, just leave it right here in the comments. I'd, I'm always fascinated by, by these stories, you know, and, and how people have been impacted by these events, and... Uh, you know, I remember being a kid growing up and, you know, my parents, their generation would talk about would talk about Vietnam or the JFK assassination or something. Yeah. And for me, being 20, 21, when the planes hit, that this this was the most formative thing of, of my generation and all people around our age. Yeah, it, it absolutely was. And I mean, the stories and how it unfolded and, and throughout the day, as more and more things started to occur, it really was disturbing. Yeah. Uh, and. At the, the the nature of it transcended fear. Yeah. It, it, it went into really just this heart despair type of thing, you know, and then the heroes in Pennsylvania now, that I took ask down the plane and so you, on. I can't I, imagine. I was, uh, I was in the music industry at the time. I wasn't in supply chain. Were you in supply chain at the time? Yeah, I was. What did, what did that event do historically? What did that do at the time to, to transportation? I know so many planes were grounded. I imagine that the impacts had to be pretty huge. The impacts were really huge, and uh, the long-term impacts in the business that I was in, which was maritime, and and we were uh, specifically in the island niche, the Caribbean niche, 
It, it really destroyed the business, uh, the LCL business, into that environment because yeah. people weren't traveling anymore. I mean, it was all shut down. So uh, the impact was really, really big. Yeah. Fortunately, last night, uh, oh, here's a few comments here, too. Rhonda says, uh, Rob Boosie, hope your day is going well so far. A special day for our country. Jim Blaze, never forget. Also, those first responders who later suffered illness and died. A lot of the dogs, too. A couple, uh, it was a few years ago. I mean, it's 20 now, but I, I remember reading about the, the last rescue dog, the last rescue lab who had yeah. gone in there. And I remember donating boots. And I remember my parents donating boots to, to the Golden Retrievers because they love Golden Retrievers. And they were doing a lot of those rescues, trying to find the bodies. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, just so many, so many people got involved in that. Kesha Eubanks says, thank you for the moment of silence. Patrick Murray says, I was seven years old. Rhonda says, they're heroes. Timothy Mullock says, on my way home from Calc Class at college. He heard on the radio the first plane. He watched the plane on his TV. Sophomore year, Norman, Oklahoma. So that was frightening. That's, that's Chris Conk. Rob Busey, I flew from Chicago to Phoenix on 910. I was working for America West Airlines at the time. Woke up to one tower already hit. And uh, Chris Jolly just says, happy Friday, everyone. So with that, let's 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 uh, let's move forward. Let's move. I mean, last yeah. night we were able to get at least uh, a little bit further into that semblance of normalcy. There was a uh, it was a welcome return to football. The NFL was back. You had the Chiefs at the Texans. You had, you know, Andy Reid looking like he was uh, a frog in a uh, terrarium with the, with the, with the, with the <laughs> right. rain on there and the fog on the inside. He needed a windshield wiper. He needed a little defogger. It was nice to see it back. Um, you had a couple callouts. I, I did. Yeah, I'm not normally an NFL guy. I'm a college guy. But hey, football's football, and we need this. We need this thing. But uh, and and so I'm watching. But my three takeaways: Mahomes is a stud. There's no doubt about it, right? Yes. <laughs> the guy's the guy's awesome. Uh, coaches wearing have to wear face uh, shields, but the players on the field who are spitting and sweating and bleeding on each other in the trenches don't. Kind of confuses me a little bit. Um, and then really what. Uh, I mean, we talked about this a little bit. Booing unity, is that what was happening? I, I didn't understand that. that at all. And this is what I'm talking about. Like, you know we were talking about the patriotism of, of when the planes hit. Everything wasn't so polarizing back then. Right. You can still have values and not immediately just have, like, unity is a value. Unity should not be partisan. And what they did there was try to attempt to avoid all the booing and everything and then have their hand locks and interlocked. And it seemed like the one thing you could possibly do to not get booed. But apparently, I don't know, they let they let the, the bleacher creatures in in the parking lot and that's what you get. I get I mean, it, it, was it an ignorance thing and just booing the fact that, that they're bringing these, these issues into what they want to be just entertainment and they don't like that type of thing? I, I I can't believe that they were booing unity itself and what the message was, right? It's more, probably more, hey, keep this out of my entertainment type of thing, I guess. I, I don't know. That's the only sense I can make out of it. Yeah. Let's get to some news stories because we got a guest that's coming up soon right as well. But before we do that, September is Pro Driver Month, and Pat Flying J is celebrating with a free drink every day in the app. It's a different deal every day, so log in to see what's new. See pilotflyingj.com for terms and conditions. All right, man, here we go. Again, with the broken record, it's Friday. You know what Friday means? DHL Supply Chain Pricing Power Index. Now, I don't have my sound box right now, so we'll, we'll just... You are missing something. I didn't even realize that. Your sound box is gone. We you want are, me to beatbox uh, for you or anything? We are locked in right now. We're locked in right now at 85. It's been that way for almost a month now. It's staying at that 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 peak. Hopefully it doesn't roll down the hill either uh either direction. The outlook is 80 for carriers. And um, so DHL Supply Chain Price Power Index, as we've mentioned, it uses analytics for freight wave sonar to analyze the market, zero shipper power. 
100 carrier power. Lingering distortions from the Labor Day holiday, holiday make the comparison slightly difficult. Except, accepted tenders were up 15% year over year this week compared to 18% a year ago. Carriers are being particularly selective, though, in rejecting more than one in four contracted loads, which has pushed spot rates from uh, above $3 a mile in 46 out of 100 lanes. Yeah, it, it, the holiday happened a week later this year, five days later this year. So the, when you're looking at those those seasonal trends year over year, it's it's a little you gotta you gotta move it out five days. But yeah, demand is just simply out is outstripping capacity right now, and it continues to go there. Reject or accepted tenders, like you said, remain at highly uh, at historically high levels. But carriers are using this to to really be selective and be opportunistic and and looking for those best loads, get them home, that type of stuff. Outbound tender rejections, right? Climbed nearly five percent last week. Yeah, uh, sitting at over the 2018 March peak, which was 26.68 percent, mm-hmm. uh, and it's going on. And, I, and like we talked about before, that three-month outlook used to be 75 yeah. on the DHL. Now it's 80. Now it's 80. It's strong. Spot market spiked nearly 10% this week on a national level to 289 a mile. A couple other quick hitters here. Trucker arrested after 10 million. This is like another broken one. Another trucker arrested $10 million cocaine bust at the U.S.-Canadian border. That's right. Nate Tabak, he's reporting that a trucker was arrested by Canadian border officials. They found $10 million worth of suspected cocaine during that in, uh, that inspection on Thursday. The, unif- the unidentified male was arrested on August 18th at the Queenston-Lewiston Bridge, a U.S.-Canadian border crossing linking Ontario with western New York. Yeah, absolutely. So the uh, CBSA, or the Canadian Border Service Agency, uh, they referred the tractor-trailer for further secondary inspections after they noticed anomalies in the in the packaging of the shipment that was that was on there. And the officers discovered 117 kilograms of suspected cocaine uh, in 104 packages uh, in this commercial load. And so they estimate the drugs to be worth uh, 14 million Canadian U.S. would be 10.6 million. It's among the largest drug seizures from a truck on the U.S.-Canadian border since it closed for non-essential travel in March. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's true. U.S. Customs and Border Protection, they've had a few of these, mostly marijuana so far, but also some cocaine. And here's another one on FreightWaves.com. We're not going to get deep into it, but it asks a good question. Will there be a bidding war for warehouse labor? When you think about the stimulus, although a little less stimulus now that that, that bill got rejected for a, a number of different reasons, the, yeah. uh, the stimulus bill that was going to go through. But there's still a lot of people on unemployment. It's going to take more money to entice warehouse workers to come back and work in. And if you're managing a warehouse, you may be looking at spending $20 or upwards an hour for some of your workers, just something to, to be aware of. And also, with fragmented school schedules, all those other things, Michael Vincent, there just may not have the uh, availability. Uh, again, FreightWaves.com for all of these stories and all of your late-breaking news. But right now, we got to get to Jamie Hagen. He's owner-operator at Hellbent Express. Let's Love bring it. him right up on the air now. He, uh, he is passionate passionate man about reducing, uh, <laughs> reducing fuel consumption. Jamie, it's really good to see you, brother. Hey, how's it going? You know, when I, uh, when, when I posted out who the guests were going to be, and the, the first promo was, was uh, it had Shelly Simpson and it had Trevor Milton on, and that, that Hindenburg thing's dropped, and you made your joke. You were like, uh, and me. <laughs> I'm, the biggest, <laughs> I'm the biggest name on this one. But, but on trucking Twitter, you may be with some people. You are like a, uh, you're like a cult icon of the road to some of those guys. Uh, introduce yourself, young man. Young man. All right. <laughs> I'm a little older than young, but uh, I don't know. Don't know that I'm a cult icon on Twitter, but I've been on there a really long time, that's for sure. Uh, definitely obsessed with the fuel economy. That's a real issue in my life, you know. 
to expand here recently. I don't know if you guys caught that or not. Uh, you were talking about the freight rates skyrocketing, so I thought here's a prime opportunity to jump in the game and uh, really cash in. I'd like to know more about that uh, drug bust, though, that you're talking about. The sonar track illegal trade, too? Or? <laughs> yeah, we don't have the, uh, we don't have the sonar uh, drug bust tracking index in there yet, but maybe we can get that, that data from, from the border officials. I don't know if we want to. Who's that going to help, though, the narcos or the other side? I, I, I don't know who. I don't know no. who it's getting. Open the can of worms. Hey, you know, so Michael Vincent, when we were we were putting this together, what we're going to talk to you about. One of the yeah. things he asked me was, "What's Maconomics?" And I said, uh, "I think it's something that you may have made up. You may have invented. What is Maconomics?" Well, I don't know. If, you know, it's um, it's definitely made up. You know, it's the economics of owning a Mack truck. Really, uh, partnered with Mack and uh, and. Uh, spec their most fuel efficient truck they can make like threw everything in the kitchen sink on this thing just to make it as efficient as it could be possible and uh, just going through as a owner operator type guy who could show others you know what's possible with the economics of it you know what i'm saying yeah, absolutely do, Jamie. And it's, it's really good stuff. And it's very interesting. Dooner and I had a further discussion about that economics, and I'd like to talk to you about that. So you're, you're really, you know, how are you maximizing those, those miles per gallon there? Is it, uh, and, you know, is it gamifying really what you're doing, helping you pay more attention to the road, et cetera? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you do every little tiny thing that you possibly can to gain a tenth here and a tenth there. And then I use a product called Pedal Coach that uh, uses uh, sort of like a score, and it helps my drivers, uh, you know, try a little harder. You know, it gives you a breakdown every night of the leaderboard, so they get to see who's on top. You know, like you said, it sort of gamifies the situation of how light you can use your foot and how far you can go with it, and you know. And then, I, of course, I tie it to a bonus program where they get paid for the better their score, the more they get paid. You know what I mean? It's it's all gives you something to do as you go down the road even. We were talking about a big benefit of that is we talk about driver safety, we talk about fuel economy, we talk about cost of ownership, these nuclear verdicts. And um, we had a previous guest on that, and I was like, hey, I used to have a Honda Insight, and one of the things I liked about it was it, it gave you feedback. You could see on the dash what you were doing to improve your economy. And I think with like the train, it made me a much more aware driver, and I think you can take that same logic if you can get some buy-in from your drivers. And like you just mentioned with that gamification, it seems like you're getting that buy-in, but you're also getting results. You tweeted that Pedal Coach had me, or you put on a LinkedIn, Pedal Coach had me at 11 miles per gallon loaded to 80,000 on this trip for the last two days. Real world filled up after some idling comes in at 10.83 miles per gallon. You're trying to do this, what, over 10 miles a gallon for 90, 90 days straight. Is that correct? Yeah, sort of uh, the goal is if you can get that to that 90 day, 10 miles MPG, you know what I mean? That's a true heavy hitter standard. You know what I mean? The it's easy to get one here and there, you know what I mean? But then if you can average it over a summer, which is the best time of the year to get it at temperature and stuff. But, yeah, yeah, that's the huge goal. That's uh, been aiming for that for years now. It's very interesting stuff. I love the gamification for it. What kind of returns are you seeing on, on this effort? <laughs> returns are huge. I mean, it's you know, if you can keep your costs under 20 cents a mile for fuel, mm -hmm. uh, that's just – your profit at that point I, I i shake my head at people who don't think that that's a huge issue but uh, it, you know the more you take home the more you can expand you know what i mean the, like i said buying a full truck just taking that profit and just throwing it back in and and expanding and capitalizing 
You know, one thing that a lot of our guests say when we bring them on, especially when they're on your side, they're that owner-operator who's doing a good job. They say the biggest problem, and this actually, remember, this came up a lot, Michael Vincent, when the spot market tanked. They said the biggest problem is a lot of these owner-operators, some of the smaller ones, and this isn't to attack everybody, but a lot of them don't seem to understand their cost of doing business. And mm-hmm. we do reports, and if you look at the studies all the time, we had all those bankruptcies last year, Michael Vincent. What the right. Freight Intel Group found, that the two main drivers of those bankruptcies, those nuclear verdicts, was uh, the number one one was like the price of diesel, right? Was the, was the fuel cost. Right. Was for putting these carriers out of business. Um, why do you think that so many, why do you think so many owner-operators kind of just live by the day and they don't, they don't really pay that much attention to this fuel economy or building out that book of business? What kind of advice do you have for, the, for those guys out there? Well, not, you know, I can't say speak to them, so to speak, or for them, I should say. Like, it, to me, I run it like a business. I look at the profit margins. I look at, you know, every day what cost per mile is. A lot of guys uh, that I know that are owner-operators don't even have any idea what their cost per mile is. They, uh, One guy I know, he doesn't even know what he gets paid per mile. He just does the loads and, you know, he cashes the checks and he just moves on with his day like, it, you know, nothing's going on. And I'm like, do you, do you have any idea what you're making for profit? And he's like, eh, he's not concerned. He goes, I, I cash the checks. <laughs> and or I'm completely obsessed, you know what I mean? I, I track everything, you know, with profit loss statements and stuff. I treat it like a business, and that's the hard part. A lot of guys just, they love driving, and they want to drive the truck they've always wanted, and that's their only goal. You know, they don't really care if they make money in the end, you know, which is fine, I guess, if that's how they want to run it. But, you know, I had bigger aspirations than just driving when I wanted. Not to say that Mac isn't a great truck to drive, you know, <laughs> throws in plug. Yeah, <laughs> throws in a plug, right? Yeah. So, so with that, are you interested in the battery electric semi by 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 Tesla, and you know what Nikola is attempting to do with hydrogen and and you know Hylion's play uh, of those maximizing diesel diesel, uh, you know, for now, or are you good with that? Just maximizing the diesel. Crazy not to be interested. I mean, I got a close look at that thing down at the uh, truck show here last November at the. Um, trying to remember the one in Atlanta. I can't even think of the name of it right now, but the North American Commercial Vehicle Show or whatever. And I got to watch it leave, you know, and it sounded like a golf cart as it went by. It was kind of <laughs> rolled through the lot, you know. They had to have people in front of it because you couldn't hear it run, you know what I mean? Like, they just make sure everyone got out of the way. And uh, it's very interesting. I'm uh, between Tesla and them to see how, you know, who comes out first. Is it reliable? The big question is, is in my part of the world up in South Dakota, can the batteries last? You know what I mean? With that cold air, they're just, you know, they're going to have heaters on them. You know, then they start pulling juice. How much juice are you going to have? You know what I mean? The last thing you want to do is have your battery kick out up in North Dakota when it's, you know, minus 40, you know, or in Canada in my case, too. I go a lot up into Alberta and, you know. So I think that's the, where the future is going to be is can they get those batteries to hold out in the cold temperatures, you know, that they'll be great down south you know i imagine you'll see a lot of them running down 10 and 20 you know interstates across the bottom part of the united states but you know just see where technology takes us Josh Josh Ramis, he says, uh, 10 miles per gallon, wow, that would nearly cut our fuel cost in half. So you are doing a, a lot better. I mean, what, what is the average, around six miles per gallon? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's, around, it's around six. Yeah, would you agree with that, Jamie? Yeah, yeah. So you have, you're, you're, you're well above average. You're, and you're, are you using any type of technology beyond, beyond pedal coach? Because uh, you're, you're not using, you know, electric batteries or any of that kind of stuff. What kind of tools right now, before we let you go, what could someone jump into right now to start getting on the road you're on? 
what could someone do? Well, you got to spec the truck right first and foremost. You know, that's the biggest hurdle here. You know, uh, Mac's got that energy recovery technology that they're using, and then they couple it with the super downspeeding the engine. You know, my truck makes max torque right at 900 RPMs, and that's about where I travel at 60 miles an hour at 900 RPMs and just idling going down the road. So that's a huge advantage. And I take it, you know, I take advantage of it with my light foot and uh, taking it easy going down the road. And uh, that's where the technology is right now. It's, it's, it's actually, they're getting ready to release a gen two of that where the max torque is coming out at 800 RPMs. It's, it's, Technology is growing leaps and bounds, and it's going to be hard for electric to compete with this, you know, once these trucks start getting to 12, 13 miles of the gallon, and that's where it's headed, really. Uh, how do you compete with electricity? You know what I mean? Like when diesel is readily available everywhere and it's, you know, your cost per miles are going to sink, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. no, Jamie, you do a wonderful job. You're a great follow on, on Twitter. You're very accessible. Where should people go to learn more information? Well, you can find me on Twitter at, at HellbentHagen. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on everything. You know what I mean? Wow. Snapchat me, for God's sake. You know? <laughs> wow. Look, are you on TikTok yet? Like like Wayne Craig? No, I can't. I can't. I, I got to stop. I got to cut the line right there. TikTok <laughs> I'm, with <laughs> I'm with you. For me, it was Facebook. I, just, yeah, I couldn't I just... do the Facebook. Hey, Jamie, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for helping to educate some of the uh, some of the owner-operators out here on how they can uh, they can really help their business by lowering that consumption. We, we appreciate it. And help the environment, too, right? Yeah, absolutely. I love those kind of initiatives where you can help two things at once, right? You can help your bottom line yeah, and help the environment, the environment at the environment. same time. Like, at least inadvertently, you're helping it. And that's yeah, what efficiency I, and optimization can do. I agree with you 100%. And I love the technology that gives you that instant feedback. Yeah. To let's, show you. Let's, uh, let's jump over to Alan Adler now. He's our oh, yeah. Detroit borough chief, or that should be bureau chief. Did you know the difference? Do you know what the difference is between <laughs> a donkey and a mule? I don't. So a donkey is it is the size of the ears or something? No. So a, a mule is from the, uh, it's a descendant of the African wild ass, where the uh, ass is in donkey. Okay. Ass is in donkey, where, where a, uh, a mule is actually a half horse, half donkey. Oh, all right. Yeah. Alan, I didn't did know you that. know that? I knew what a centaur was. <laughs> a centaur. Yeah. Yeah, sure, I know what a centaur is, too. <laughs> and, uh, about you mentioning me and ass in the same sentence doesn't make me want to come on your show. No, no, you are, you are not. You're not an ass. You're actually, you're the, you're the man of the hour for, uh, for a couple of reasons. There's probably nobody more qualified than you to talk through this Hindenburg research uh, bomb that dropped. So uh, the, the story is, and you were following on this, you've been covering the good news of Nikola at the beginning of the week. You covered the extra stock share she was giving out. After giving 6 million shares out, Milton giving out another million shares. I see this story come across the wire. You covered. I see the story about the GM deal that comes through. So we reach out to Trevor. We said, hey, you got to come on. This is great news. Let's talk about it on What the Truck. They confirm it was on Thursday. Two hours later, the, the Hildenberg uh, report comes out, and um, now there's a lot of questions, right? And it looks like Trevor's lawyered up. Uh, and uh, I don't know. Give us some context. What's going on, Alan? Make some sense this week for us. All right. So I think, and I tweeted this yesterday, that Trevor has a lot of explaining to do. Uh, clearly, he's not going to do it. Um, Kirkland and Ellis is a longtime General Motors uh, outside legal counsel. And in fact, two uh, general counsels at General Motors have come from Kirkland and Ellis. So you've got another GM tie there if, if you want that. Um, I think there's, uh, I've had a number of people reach out to me about the uh, Hindenburg report. Uh, there are a number of things that we really shouldn't 
take to the bank in that report. But there's enough there, call it smoke, if you will, to suggest that there's some fire out there as well. Now, Alan, uh, Alan, yeah, Alan just real quick, I want to put some context to this, too. We have some tweets from Trevor Milton that also give a little uh, a little insight to this timeline. And he here is the first one is cowards run leaders stay and fight for integrity. Hildenberg is only making people love us more for trying to destroy us. The, the very Trevor tweets. I will take the rest of the day to address these one sided false claims, but I'll put out a detailed report to address it. In the meantime, troll on. Then he says been working on this rebuttal of Hindenburg. He updates us. He says he's been working on it for 14 hours to provide a clear factual, low emotional answer to the report will also be out before the market opens and working through the night. I feel great about every answer. They wanted max damage. It didn't work. Now back to growth. But right after he tweets, something really weird happened. If you go on his main timeline, all of the non-reply tweets are gone uh, down until June 2nd. So they all vanished. I'm not sure what happens. He said it was a bug. I don't I don't know if that's for sure. And then this morning, here was his low emotion response. It was Nicola retained outside counsel Kirkland Ellis LLP and authorized them to reach out directly to the SEC. The allegations are false and deceptive. On advice of counsel, however, I won't comment further now other than saying they, that we have involved the SEC. It is in their hands now. And they put out a statement. It was, uh, it was a few small paragraphs, and it wasn't the rebuttal, right? It wasn't the rebuttal that I think people were looking for, at least at this juncture. Why is that, Alan? They have a lot of explaining to do, like I said a minute ago. Uh, now, the SEC is is a little weird. We'll have to watch and see what filings there are. I don't know exactly why the SEC would be involved at this point unless, and I'm not suggesting they have, unless they were going to investigate. If if they queried Nicola and said, hey, we want to understand this better, then yeah, that would make some sense, and you wouldn't want to talk right now. Trevor's uh, issue all along, and, and this has been helpful to someone like me, is that he's very accessible. Uh, we wrote a story last week that said when we talked about the, uh, the, the minting millionaires and building buzz, and he came flat out and said it. We want to stay in the news. We think it's a corporate priority. We think people want to hear from us. Well, they've had their detractors, and right before this show today, I was looking at, at uh, what uh, 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 Fred Lambert over at Electrek wrote, and he's been skeptical of Nikola for quite some time. The Bloomberg reporter Ed Ludlow uh, created a, uh, a storm, if you will. Uh, I'll leave the front part of that word out. Uh, a storm for Nikola a while back uh, about this whole question of the Nikola one, the reveal. Was it a runner? Was it a pusher? Uh, meaning that it couldn't run under its own power. I didn't think all that much of that particular issue, and I wondered why someone would be going back four years to talk about something like that. But it appears that there was a lot of stuff going on four five years ago as Nikola came into being that really does need explaining. And I don't, I don't have those answers. Uh, I went through the entire report yesterday. It's not terribly organized and, and, and that, but there's some very interesting things in there. And, and, and one of them that stuck out to me was – the two leaders for the hydrogen infrastructure and the and the infrastructure overall do not appear to have expertise anywhere near relevant to the work they've been asked to do. Uh, one is Travis's younger brother, and the other is a guy who ran a golf course. So I guess I, I worry about that a little bit. I, I, I don't have answers for those things. I think we need to get answers for them. I don't know that we're going to get them. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the Nikola response yesterday, the first Hold thing on, Alan, Alan, before out, you, I, I just to make one point on that, you know, I, I think that if you look at a lot of startups, early stage companies, you might find some hires that that don't always make the most sense. Right. Like, yeah. do you think that maybe he could be putting those people in those positions? They're not the true DMs there, but they're more the like trusted eyes and ears for Trevor. Is that possible? Maybe. I don't know. He hasn't said. 
Yeah. I don't know. I yeah. don't know. So I, I would just say that, that if you're going to hire and he's made a hire, I just interviewed uh, his, his uh, head of, uh, of manufacturing guy who uh, spent a long time at Toyota, then worked at Tesla and, and his third act is going to be Nikola seems to be a sharp guy has got a lot of experience. I'll be writing about him in a few weeks, maybe. But the, but the point is that, that, you know, these two kind of stuck out. Uh, there's some other things that were, gave me pause, but you know, I heard from a, from a, someone at Bosch that, you know, uh, this report misrepresented the whole thing about the uh, the big truck show and the five trucks coming out of Europe and that kind of thing. So, and then of course, you know, GM standing by its investment or its partnership. Um, you know, a lot of people are hanging in there, but the stock's just getting hammered again today. Yeah, I mean, that was a question that I was going to ask: is Is this a case of did GM not do their homework fully, and what does this imply for that relationship there? GM has a history. I worked there for 20 years. That's a disclaimer. GM has a history of getting into deals and then having to get out of them at a very expensive price. The one that comes to mind was back in the 90s when they had a put agreement, a stock put agreement with Fiat, which at that time was just an Italian car maker. They ended up having a $2 billion put and they had to pay Fiat this money to break up an agreement. They were doing a lot of sort of 20% ownerships at a bunch of auto companies back then in Europe and Asia. And uh, and Sergio Marchione, who passed away in 2019, I believe, uh, basically took that money and at the end of the day, ended up buying Chrysler with it and, you know, became Fiat Chrysler. And uh, Marchione, you know, uh, wanted to merge with GM in the worst way. GM had to fight him off. My point is that GM does a couple of things, and, and they, they, will, they will defend what they do, then they'll spend more money to protect it. So if you like my speculation, and this is just mine, I think <laughs> they end up with some pieces, if not all, of Nikola at the end of this. Yeah, so I was going to ask you about that. So the deal comes out, and the stock market goes, you know, Nicholas stocks up 40% a couple days ago when this deal comes out. But almost immediately, people start looking at it, and they're like, what? Is is Nicholas just a badge company now? What does this mean? Because, you know, the timing of this report, yeah, you could go, it's a short seller's report. They're, they're trying to hit to bring down that 40% that 40% that it just went up. But at the same time, the GM the GM deal itself begs a bunch of questions, because Nicola has made a lot of promises about breakthrough technology. They talk about ZapGo, right? And how ZapGo had this breakthrough. That deal falls through. There were, there were a lot of shady going on with, with NASA and some prostitutes and a slut. <laughs> and, and it's just a wild story. I mean, you got to read the whole report to get the entire gist of it. And I'm not saying the whole thing's true. I don't know. I haven't, we haven't vetted the whole thing. But right. but what what does this mean? Like, if I bought a Badger on pre-order, I didn't think I was getting a GM. I thought I was getting a sexy Nikola car. They're not using the fuel technology anymore. They're using all GM stuff. So what is Nikola? All right. Well, I mean, if you buy a Nickel Badger, if there ever is a Nickel Badger, let's be clear, if oh. there ever is a Nickel Badger, it'll look like a Nickel Badger, but underneath it will be a GM powertrain. Powertrain sharing is nothing. That's not a big deal. I mean, I wouldn't worry about it. You're And, and GM's done great powertrains over the years. What GM isn't terribly good at is marketing. So they'd be wise to sell it as a Nikola. Quite honestly, Nikola is way cooler than GM will ever be. But yeah. Uh, the issue, Great. the issue about when you when you brought up this thing about the uh, the battery technology, I had one question I was asked, able to ask on the press call the other day with GM and, and Nicola, and I asked Trevor about the battery breakthrough technology. I said, "Is the GM Ultium? That's what they call their battery technology with LG Chem. Is that the breakthrough that you were talking about?" He said, "Oh no, no." He said, "We." 
we, uh, we're going to stop working on uh, what we have and just give it to GM and let GM decide if there's anything valuable. Kind of a BS answer, especially given what occurred, you know, a couple of days later. Um, so he's never, they never stepped back. They never corrected the record, if you will, that, that they got taken. Uh, it's unfortunate that a guy named Jason Royk, who uh, was a Bosch guy and huge cheerleader for Nikola, had a bunch of his engineers embedded at Nikola and still does. He left Bosch, 20-year career at Bosch, went over to Nikola as uh, uh, in a high executive role. He's the one who had to who had to work through this whole issue with the uh, Zapgo, and we never knew that name, by the way, until the uh, report from Hindenburg. You know, so here's another one of those sort of non-emotional responses, I guess he was saying. He's this, he put uh, just an hour ago, these were planned to release later, but alleged trucks didn't exist in Ulm, Germany. Do these look fake? Thanks to the Ulm Fab Assembly teams for showing the trolls what's up. You guys have my admiration. F the haters. We'll come back stronger from the lies about us. Uh, w- was it a lie that they rolled? So one of the answers that everyone on yeah. Twitter yeah. Out of these is, did they roll the vehicle down the hill and digitally alter it? And is there necessarily a problem with staging a commercial i mean you got to build hype a little bit right but is it the way they did it so what and also the snaking of the the electric plug under the stage these are some questions i think people really want answered is how roadworthy this stuff is yeah what do you got well, on this that? is this is what this is what Bloomberg brought up a couple three months ago, and and Trevor went batty about it. He went crazy. So I'm gonna sue this guy. I'm gonna sue this guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, somehow uh, Ev Ludlow, the reporter, ends up being back in Nicholas Good Graces because every call I've been on with Nicholas since Ed's been on there, and he's been a little muted, but he asks his questions and Trevor and company answer them. So I don't know whatever happened with that particular threat, uh, but he was the one who brought this up. And, it, and this uh, Ed Lambert that I mentioned a little earlier today. Uh, also was suspicious about it. Uh, you know, my attitude uh, about it when I read the story was, listen, this is four years ago. So what? Well, now you've got Hindenburg giving you even more details. They seem plausible. I don't know. Uh, I would say that it's one of the questions that that, you know, Trevor needs to answer. He really does. And also, let me say this. I think there's a lot of questions just getting the numbers straight on what happened with his with his natural gas company. Also, uh, you know, there's a lot there that needs to be explained. Um, You want to knock it down. That's great. I think I think Hindenburg made it really easy. Just answer the 53 questions that are at the end of their the end of their report. Answer those and, and maybe it all goes away. But I think we're beyond that. I think, as you mentioned, Dooner, uh, he's lawyered up. Uh, I don't know why he's still tweeting, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, if he did that an hour ago, that surprises me. I would have thought that the lawyers would have said, down, boy, stay down. No, nope, he's still going. I don't know. He's still yeah, going. Yeah, sounds like he is. Sounds well, like he is. And, 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 you know, I don't know where we go, honestly. Alan, I know you're going to stay on top of this story. We'll stay on top of this story, too. I love this space. Love working with you. Also, on radio tomorrow, we're going to talk much more about this space. We'll dive deeper into it. Alan Adler, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. So good to be with you. Okay, now talking Thanks, about the Alan. future of tech, we're, we're just about to bring up Shelly Simpson. She's EVP, yeah. Chief Commercial Officer, President of Highway Service at J.B. Hunt Transportation Services. But they sent us this wonderful video of what we're just about to talk about. So let's go to the tape, and then we'll bring Shelly right on with us. J.B. Hunt's always had a strong interest in being environmentally sustainable. And the electric truck plays right into that. So the electric truck with the zero emissions is something that we're very interested in. And continue to wait and watch and see how this technology develops. It's so much fun seeing it all come together right now. 
and uh, we're thrilled to be uh, running this unit out in California. The customers are very interested in electric trucks because everyone that I know uh, really wants to do what's best for our planet and the environment. And now you see so much emphasis on environmental, social, and governance aspects of all companies. So customers are anxiously awaiting delivery of these trucks and seeing how they can incorporate them into their operations. The use of electric trucks falls right into place with our overall mission statement of providing the most efficient transportation network in North America. You know, we began this journey years ago with intermodal conversion freight that worked each and every day to reduce the carbon footprint. We continue to make investments into our 360 platform. We bring carriers and customers together and continue to drive out empty miles and waste and make more efficient use of trucks and trailers and drive out all the waste and again reducing the carbon footprint. So electric trucks fall right in line with that as we continue to move forward on our environmental sustainability plan. Yeah, I'm so proud of the collaboration with our teams here at J.B. Hunt and with Freightliner and now bringing our customer into this. And it's going to take all three of those groups to really make this become a reality in large numbers over the next few years. Wow. Well, that deserves a three cowbell suit. Absolutely. One for Shelly Simpson, one for J.B. Hunt's fantastic marketing team. They have one of the best marketing teams in the game. They do. And, uh, you know, another one for, uh, for, for Shelly pushing for this initiative and all that kind of stuff. Shelly Simpson, thank you so much for joining us on What the Truck. It is an, it is an honor. Well, thanks for having us. <laughs> so we, we just saw that video. And like I said, your marketing team always does such a bang up job. Like I remember watching your, your keynote speech at the last live event we did, which was Freightways Live in November in Chicago. And you just had that awesome moving background with all the JB Hunts of <laughs> connecting the points. I've always just been fascinated about um, the, the time and effort. JB Hunt is just so polished. You, you do such an awesome job. You're such a great leader. We're going to get into all of that. But before we do, let's talk about this video. You've got a, uh, we've got a pilot deal with these e-Cascadias with Walmart. Tell us about it. Well, so that's our first um, truck, and we're going to pilot that for the next 90 days. And obviously, we worked with Walmart um, to help that come into play. But we have several other customers that we're working with as we speak. You know, we just published our corporate sustainability report that's located on our website. And it really just gave a view of our uh, thought process on how we think about sustainability and electric trucks are just one component of really what we're working on. It's awesome initiatives. And, and thank you for being on, a, on the show, Shelly. It's, it's a pleasure to meet you for the first time. I'm a big, big fan of what you guys are doing there at J.B. Hunt and your leadership skills as well. I'm interested to know in the electric vehicle market, I mean, it's obviously heating up quite quickly uh, with your initiatives, et cetera. Does, uh, is, is your interest more in the, the battery electric vehicles or do you have interest in the hydrogen electric vehicles as well? Well, so we are testing a variety of different vehicles. We've actually had an all-electric medium duty box truck for some time. We also uh, do natural gas trucks. We're constantly in test mode, but this is one that we've been excited about and we've been working towards. Um, right now, it's battery, but we're open to really testing anything that we believe will be more sustainable and better long-term. 
What does the future fleet of JB Hunt look like? I mean, you have to be thinking about that. There's all these, you know, uh, this year has been in incredibly exciting, especially in the electric space. You know, we've been hearing about this stuff for so long, and now it's here on the roads. Real products coming to market, coming to launch, some, some with easier roads than others. But there's definitely options out there. What do you see sort of the, the fleet of JB Hunt? I mean, I imagine it'll be a hybrid of sorts. You, you, you know, you have big operations. But where do you think we are in five years with all this? Well, it is going to take some time, really, from a manufacturing perspective to be uh, in full swing and for us to really move into something different than what we have today. I, I think we, that's one of the reasons that we are testing so that we can get our own experience as to what we think about what's happening. But there's, there's a lot of things that still have to occur for this to be a reality across our entire fleet. As you know, that we do all sorts of work for our customers uh, from local work, regional and long haul, but also different types of trucks and different needs based on terrain and, and really what our customers need us to do. So I think in five years, that's a lot different answer than what I'd have in the next, you know, couple of years. But I do think autonomous is something uh, that obviously we're in the middle of a discussion on uh, as we speak. That's something that Craig Harper is constantly focused on. So you just mentioned the past one, one to three years at autonomous. So what, what is the road now is these test pilot programs, right? Seeing if they can integrate with JB Hunt. But uh, when you said automation, my ears perked up a little bit. That's, that's another space <laughs> yeah. that's getting exciting. How do you see that integrating with, uh, with what you're doing with, with JB Hunt? And how far away are we from that? Well, I mean, there are different levels of autonomous vehicles. So for us, like I've talked about our 360 platform, we do not think machines will take the place of all of us. Uh, we think that technology will just enable us to do better work over the long term. And so whether that's our technology through JBN 360 or technology in the truck, we're constantly evaluating uh, what is possible. And so um, I think that it will be local, something that's more predictable, that will really lean into something from autonomous perspective. But I think it'll be a while still before we see trucks on the road uh, driving next to, you know, us as consumers or um, it, without anyone in the truck. So I think we're advancing as an industry and we'll continue to move that direction. Yeah, awesome insights, Shelley. Appreciate that very much. You know, before the show, uh, you know, I'm very excited to meet you, if you can't tell. Wow, yeah, <laughs> I really am. I'm a really, I, I am a fanboy. <laughs> I really love it. But we were talking about, you know, your leadership skills there at, at, at J.B. Hunt and really the, the the altruistic nature of your leadership skills. And so I have to ask the question, leadership, what does leadership mean to you, Shelley? Gosh, that's a great question. You know, when I started with the company 26 years ago, I started in an hourly role. And I remember looking in the offices that sat in front of me, all men, by the way. And I always thought, what do they do? <laughs> what do they do all day? <laughs> uh, it's hard for me to understand. And then I recognized very young in my career um, that they connect with people. And I think if you were to you know, ask me what my passion is, my passion is people and connecting with people. And I think anytime that we can have great conversation, we have structures and to run a big business, you have to have processes in place. But, you know, it does come down to, do our people feel connected to us as leaders? And uh, for me, if I can make an impact on an individual and certainly many individuals to our organization, um, to me, that's leadership. I think oftentimes when you look in an organization, an organization that has a happy group of people that's going to be uh, in leadership and likewise, uh, the exact opposite. I have had a couple of different opportunities in my career uh, to do two turnaround stories and two startups inside J.B. Hunt. And I'll tell you, in the turnaround stories, we weren't making money and we weren't 
in a position where people would feel like they're winning. But in from a leadership perspective, I think it's a great opportunity to help people know what winning looks like. Even when the scoreboard isn't showing it right away, when you're trying to build a team up, you've got to make sure they understand what's the scoreboard, what are we reaching for, and how do we celebrate those as a team. Shelly, I like that you said that 20 years ago, you're, you're sitting in these rooms and you're starting out and you're like, what do these people even do? Now, it's hard to not, you have a few titles, right? And I remember when I started out as a broker in, uh, in 2005 and I, I came in and I'm like, what do these executives even do? Because you only see them when like they're coming in to tell you to do something. So it just seems like all they're there to do is manage you. But, but what, what is, what is your, what your role entail at, uh, at J.B. Hunt? What does the day look like for you? Yep. So um, I, my most important role is the chief commercial role. And that's really our ability to discuss with customers what problems that they need help solving and how do we meet and exceed expectations our, our customers have. And so I lead our sales organization, all of our customer teams, and really the growth of our organization is something that myself and our executive team think about on a regular cadence. In addition to that, I do lead two of our business segments, which is uh, our highway part of the business. So our JBT legacy part of our business, we're very proud of, and also our brokerage business, with, which is ICS. And then ultimately, I lead the commercialization of our technology to customers and people that do business with us um, called JBN 360. What's the hardest part of your job? I, I, I always find that question fascinating because they, they always ask you that on interviews or the good interviewers do. And it, it, um, I think it's a good one because it gets you thinking and it gets you to be just a, a little bit to, to just lay it out. So what would be the hardest part about your current role? Well, the hardest part today obviously has to do with COVID. But let me take it a little bit broader because if I were to be outside of COVID and what do I think about on a regular cadence is the speed at which we're moving as an organization. How do I make sure that a person that's been with us 26 years or a person that's been with us 26 days really feels like their ideas are included and we hear them and they are valued? I think when you're trying to do a startup company inside a legacy organization, there are great components of both and they can both have equal weight in our decision making. Oftentimes in a big company, people think that uh, you know, I stay with the company because we, I have no other opportunity or uh, that we're stale because we've been here a long time. And that's not necessarily true. And then the opposite happens as well. You have new people. They have fresh perspective. They're not jaded. They haven't tried it. And that's good for us to think about how do I take that 26-day employee and really listen to them and incorporate the best of both fresh new ideas with great experience, put those two together. And that's when we really can create something special. Excellent. Thank you for that insight, Shelly. So I want to pivot a little bit. So uh, about a week ago, you posted on LinkedIn, and I'm going to quote you here in your, your post. For the past nine years, I've served on the on the board of Work Matters. The past six years, I've, I've mentored a group annually of five to six women uh, for nine months as they journey through this idea of work and faith. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty clear with people that work with me that uh, my priorities are important to me. Maybe a fact people don't know about me as I went part-time in the middle of my career with the intent to quit the company. And it's because I really didn't know if I could blend all of the competing priorities in my life. And so I became very clear about what my life's purpose and mission is. And for me, it's to create an internal impact 
um, while serving others, leading people, and being a good witness while integrating my faith, family, work, and community. And so when I think about community and people, the questions I get a lot is, you know, what's important to you and how do you keep what's important? So we go through different times in our lives um, that become more difficult for us, whether that's for me having children and trying to uh, manage those competing priorities for others. It's the health of their family or their loved ones or just something's happening. And so faith become very central in my life, very young in my life. And I think it's what grounds me on a regular cadence. And so when I think about how do I bring faith into my work, it really really is just the principles of Jesus. How do I love people? How do I serve them? How do I be of good witness to them? What can I do to really impact somebody longer than how much profit we put on the books today or um, just make their lives better? And so that's something I'm constantly thinking about. And because of that, I uh, joined the Work Matters Board. My favorite part of that is the mentorship because I get to spend time in my office with these young ladies. Um, oftentimes, they're maybe their first management job, and they're trying to figure out what their life is going to be as well, very much like what I did back in the day. And so I just get to share life experiences. But, you know, you saw in my post what I said, I really have seen uh, wombs open and uh, marriages healed and restored and just life change right at the table through the power of prayer and just connecting with people. So that's what Work Matters is about. So, Shelly, whenever we cover things like this, we hope that it opens doors on both sides, right, for for leaders like yourself to become mentors, but also to embolden and encourage people new to the industry, women like you going into that boardroom, seeing 20 men sitting across from them. How do we bring both sides together to understand these opportunities exist? Well, I mean, I think that it's about leadership, period, whether you're a female or a male. Um, how do we lead each other? And so what's really great about all of us is we tend to have very important uh, men in our life and very important women in our life. And it's about how do we integrate the two? How do we think about that from a mentorship perspective? I don't think that uh, it's interesting. And I don't know if, if you guys really see this or not, but a lot of times people will call me and say, hey, Shelly, I'm really looking for a good woman to, to speak. And I'm thinking, well, are you looking for a good speaker? And <laughs> you see the dichotomy between the two. Yeah. I often get the adjective in front of what someone says to me. They often don't say, hey, I really think you're good in leadership. They say, hey, I think I've got a daughter or I have someone. And I'm thinking, well, in reality, I think leadership is just that. Whether you're a man or a woman, there are great leaders all over the place that can communicate and connect with everyone that's out there. And so I think if we just realize that, women want to hear from men. They want to hear from women. They want to hear from people who have been here a long time and people who haven't been here very long. We're wanting variety uh, across the board, but I think men and women want the same thing. I have to, I mean, I have to agree with you, and I think that's a great message. Yeah, and I think you also absolutely. You brought a great point. I mean, part of leadership is communication. So that talk of, of a good speaker, um, a lot of times that does go hand in hand with a good leader. Because in order to get people to, to come on board, you, you have to be able to, to communicate. But part of being a leader, too, is recognizing the, the good and the bad. And, and Shelley, one thing I really like about you is that you share with yourself. You, you, share, uh, you share with the public. You share with your team and everything. And this morning you wrote on LinkedIn, uh, and, and at the beginning of this show, we did a moment of remembrance for 9-11, and you wrote that you remembered sitting in your office that Tuesday morning. Take us back to, to 9-11 and just tell us uh, that, that story a little bit about you coming back from maternity leave. Yeah, so I, I literally had only been back about a week, and so I had a son at home um, with someone that was watching him there, and I just remember somebody rounding the corner, corner to my office and saying, we're under attack, and I really didn't know what that meant, but I remember at the time we had turned on the TV into one of our big um, 
corporate rooms and we all went in there and, you know, it was a real moment of unity. Um, I think for all of us, no matter where you are at, I remember sitting there with people from our frontline account reps to, you know, vice presidents in our company to, it didn't really matter what your job was or, or, um, who you were, we were all united as Americans. And I remember just thinking about how thankful I was for the courage and the people that went there at that time. You know, we are so huge on veterans, uh, in our organization, it's one of our four key pillars that we're focused on. About 15% of our employees are veterans, and there couldn't be a better thought for me than when I think about 9-11 or just any time our country is under attack. That's obviously a great remembrance for us to think about. I took a moment of silence as well at 846 because I remember how scary that was at the time. And then I fast forward to nearly 20 years later, and I think how comforting it is that there are men and women that put their selves on the line every single day just for my freedom. And so it makes me so thankful. I'm so proud to be an American. I'm so proud uh, of the people that fight for this country. Amen. Yeah, I think, I mean, it was like the beginning of COVID. I was one of the few times that almost had like one of those national uh, national coming together moments. It only lasted a couple of weeks before it got politicized and, and everything kind of went yeah. back to hell. Yeah. But it was it was a, a, a similar feeling I remember going through. Shelly, thank you so much for your time today. You've inspired a lot of people in the comments today. Trey Griggs says, Shelly, love hearing your story. Keep up the great work. Robert Boosie, Shelly is a wonderful person. Thank you for all you do. Davi Logan, he's talking about uh, how you inspire him to work harder at elevating women on the railroad. So all exciting stuff. Shelly, people who want to learn more, where should they go? Um, go to jbhunt.com to learn more about our company. But I am on LinkedIn and Twitter, uh, but it, you'll more commonly find me on LinkedIn. If you have a question, normally I'll respond to a direct message. Yes, thank you very much. Shelly, a little more. Thank you so much. We really appreciate <laughs> Thanks, your time today. Peace and love, Shelly. Thank you. Take it easy. All right. Got a little... Uh, we get a little good news, bad news. We do have some yeah. good news, bad That's news. Kinda, it's kind of been a good news, bad news show. But although, I think we've had some great guests today. I think every single Gosh, guest, okay, Alan, I think Alan did a bang-up job. Absolutely. Um, maybe better than, than Trevor would have done. I don't know. They say he's still going to come back on here. So I, we'll, I can't we'll wait to hear from him. We'll see. I mean, he's, he's been got, on here before. I know. He says the legal thing, and Alan brings up a great point. Why is he still tweeting? I, why he's tweeting, but they're shutting him down on. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, maybe we'll, we'll see. They maybe uh, maybe he's got. Phone out of his hand maybe he's got enough. phones hidden somewhere. <laughs> All right, here's the thing. I don't know about you, but I buy a lot of Amazon Basics news. So Amazon, good news. Amazon Basics. It's a product line that offers affordable generic products under a brand name you can trust. Right? I get I get Amazon yeah, Basics right. batteries. I've gotten chargers. I've gotten shirts. A lot of different things. And uh, you know there there is a there is a. There is another side to this, though. The bad news is that according to CNN, since 2016, at least 1,500 reviews have been written about more than 70 Amazon Basics products exploding, catching on fire, smoking, melting, causing electrical malfunctions, or otherwise posting safety risks. So be careful, especially with the chargers. You know, I, I, I've seen one too many of those, like, houses or beds being set on fire. Yeah. That even though the lightning cable, like Apple one, is more expensive, I, I still get it, and I still get it from Apple, so I don't end up with a knockoff, because... Uh, Five bucks more, uh, a piece of money. Yeah, there are certain things that you want to make sure that you're buying the Those highest quality. Those seem to stop working, too, though. Have you noticed that? They stop chart Like, after six months, they'll just be, like, not a supported device. Yeah, it just doesn't work anymore. I think they yeah. firmware it out. 
<laughs> that, that could be. That could be. Uh, bad news. Tesla stock tumbled earlier in the week after a big split but and a snub yeah. uh, by the S&P, right? Yeah. Uh, but Steve, uh, Steve Levine reports on Twitter that Tesla stock is up 16% the last few days, and a huge reason is anticipation ahead of a live webcast mm. event in two weeks, Ooh. which I always love, Elon's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Sure. Battery day. Elon Musk is likely to announce that new Teslas will reach a big milestone and cost parity with uh, cost parity with conventional cars. Wow. I always tune in when he does those live. Look, I mean, that's, awesome. that's, that's the golden chalice. You want, and, and we talk about that with trucking, too. It's been mentioned yeah. by our guests. It, that's you right. have to cost make the, Obviously, you want to do what you can for the environment. You have to do cost. And actually, some people in the comments, too, they're talking about, you know, nothing's zero impact. Nothing's zero impact. You still need all the minerals and stuff to make sure. these batteries. Absolutely. You can't get away from everything. But it, it, it then, I mean, that's a little bit more science-based for me. And we should maybe we could talk to some experts about that on, yeah. on the impacts between the two. Someone a little more qualified than uh us two lugging nuts up here. <laughs> yeah. here's, uh, here's some good news. Capacity is tight, right? Freight is rolling. Capacity is tight. Amen. We talked about that DHL supply chain pricing power index, which is the 85, giving the power to the carriers, right? Well, a lot of trucks on the road, a lot of wind. CNN reports that 45 semi-trucks toppled in one day due to extreme winds. Some Utah highways turned dangerous when extremely strong winds caused 45 semi-trucks to topple within one day. At least four drivers had to receive medical treatment. And I got to tell you, like, this is the year Mother Nature's striking back. Mother Nature is just they're not Somebody a made her mad. Can she listen to us and look? We're trying to bring the emissions down. Mother you know, Nature. the old commercial is not nice to fool Mother Nature. <laughs> old commercial, I don't She's know. No but hey, I mean, medical treatment. Yes. Amen. Nobody's dead. Nobody's dead. Nobody's 45 dead. toppled and nobody died. That's nobody that's that's, that's yeah. good news. Hey, here's some other good news. Yeah. You know, since we uh, gave away that Peloton, yeah. Peloton says that their sales have surged yeah. 172%. Now, I'm kidding. It probably wasn't us, but maybe it was. Yeah. But they've surged 172% according to their quarterly report, and they have over 1 million subscribers to their fitness platform, which is a healthy $39.9 a month. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> on top of the $2,300 bike. Have yeah. you put your Peloton biking uh, team together? Uh, you know, so I, I was a little disappointed. I thought that you could ride, like, you could ride with other people at yeah. the same time on it, but you can't. You can't. You can follow their their, their face names and stuff, but, like... Oh, you're it, not, like, seeing them and talking and... You communicate, no. Oh, I thought you could do that. Right. I mean, well, I suppose you could call someone on the phone and go. do it, but I thought it would be, like, all integrated and, and just... Got to call them up and to suggest yeah. that. Well, get, it, get it done. So bad news is uh, you're going to be waiting some time because supply chain issues are still mm. persistent. Peloton said while it expects demand to moderate a little bit, the pandemic has perpetuated the imbalance of supply and demand in many geographies. We hear that everywhere, causing continued elongated order to delivery windows for their customers. So uh, you want it. Their sales are up, but it's going to take you some time to get it. Yeah. And it took that's, me about uh, eight, eight, nine weeks. Oh, did it really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a story everywhere. Yeah. You know what? They're doing a great job. And you know what? They don't make any money. for. They make zero money from media revenue right now. Great opportunity for them. Get in that podcasting game. Give me a call, Peloton. We'll, we'll help you out. Yeah. Call Firecrown. We'll hook Absolutely. you up with that media game. Uh, yeah. Coming up call next, Fire. virtual event, September 16 to 17, Global Trade Tech. It's next week. We are we are excited. You know, for these big pay-per-views, we man this this play-by-play desk. It's presented by American Shipper. Live, free, virtually. Go to live.freightwaves.com. Who we got speaking at there? We got Gene Soroka, right, from the Port of Los Angeles. Yeah, that's right. That's going to be a really gonna be good exciting. talk. exciting. Yeah. Monday, Monday, I want the truck. Same bat time, same bat channel, noon Eastern time. Check it out on your LinkedIn. Check it out on your Facebook. Check it out on your Freightways TV or on demand. Look up What the Truck or Freightcast for every single Freightways podcast. But we got uh, Craig Lehners, claims manager, Inland Marine Travels Insurance, Adam Wingfield. He's the managing director of Innovative Logistics Group. And uh, Yoav, 
Emil. He's a vice president for a brokerage uh, technology. Hey, thank you everybody for joining us today. Um, Big remembrance for, for 9-11. You want to follow Amen. us up, keep the conversation at Timothy Dooner on Twitter. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. Michael Vincent, at Vincent the Dude on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us today on What the Truck! Yeah! Woo! Peace and love.